0: August 6, 1945. Bathed in the deadly glow of a single atomic bomb over Hiroshima, Japan, the world finds itself ushered into the atomic age. Four years later, deep behind the Iron Curtain, the Soviet Union conducts their first test of an atomic weapon, sparking an arms race the like of which the world has never seen. Apprehensive scientists and intellectuals debate the ominous fate of the planet. Three days before his death on April 18, 1955, American scientist Albert Einstein joins British philosopher Bertrand Russell in signing the Russell-Einstein Manifesto. The prospect for the human race is somber beyond all precedent. Mankind are faced with a clear-cut alternative. Either we shall all perish, or we shall have to acquire some slight degree of common sense. Soon after, in the village of Pugwash, Nova Scotia, 22 scientists, including 10 Nobel laureates, gather to ponder how to avert the Cold War's threat of nuclear obliteration and forge a plan of global peace. A half a century later, the quest still goes on. Call it the Pugwash Factor, because if those who know do not act, the planet is doomed.
1: Unless you've been away from this planet this week, the pictures you're about to see, you've already seen them. The most recognizable face on the planet today. Let's put it on the screen. Ah, Pope Francis, Pope Francis. Listen, no matter what your r- religious persuasion is or is not, you are going to have to agree that this man is immensely popular on earth today. Hailed as a rock star by the young, and I love this picture. Revered by the normally irreverent secular press as Holy Father. That, that was... That was their language all this week. Adulated. Pope Francis has literally taken this planet by storm. January 18th, this year in Manila, over 6 million Filipinos crowded into that city to what is probably, and I'm quoting the London Telegraph now, probably the largest papal mass in history in the crowning event of an astonishing tour of the world's new super pope, that newspaper declared him to be. Amazing. The smartphone crowd, you see them there. Then, Francis' journey to Brazil. This is, a, this is an amazing picture, as well, if a picture's worth a thousand words, that ought to say something. First international trip. million tweets generated with over 36 million retweets. In fact, in anticipation of what's happening today in Philadelphia, as we speak right now, Verizon and AT&T got together and invested in advance another $49 million to avoid what the USA Today put ungodly strain on their cellular networks leading John Donovan of AT&T to declare this papal trip the equivalent of 15 Super Bowls. Pope Francis' approval rating in the United States now leads all other political leaders, including President Obama. Just after his election, Forbes Magazine named him the world's most powerful Latino number 4 Powerful man on earth behind Putin of Russia, Obama of the US, and Qi of China. Amazing. What's the secret to this religious leader's phenomenal popularity? I think Rick Hampson in uh, USA Today captured it well. I'm quoting now his appeal stems from his openness, humility, and relative informality. He lives in a modest guesthouse instead of the lavish papal apartments. He spontaneously calls rank-and-file Catholics. He tweets. He tweets in nine languages. And I love this picture. Yeah. The people feel he's, he's one of us. He certainly has become what I would call the Pope of the open Door. On a flight back from his visit to Brazil, when asked by one of the reporters on board his attitude toward homosexuality, Francis replied, If someone is gay and he searches for the Lord and has goodwill, who am I to judge? And as a result, that little query, who am I to judge, has become the news media's favorite quotable quote from this pope, the pope of the open door. In an earlier homily, Pope Francis would famously say, The Lord has redeemed all of us, all of us," you can hear him preaching, with the blood of Christ, all of us, not just Catholics, everyone. You say, Father, the atheist, even the atheist, everyone. The Pope of the open door. In August, the Pope issued a call to embrace Catholics who have divorced and remarried, saying such couples always belong to the church. A couple of weeks before flying to this country, Pope Francis announced that all priests will have the authority to forgive the Catholic sin of abortion. During the Year of Mercy beginning this December, he said, Women who have suffered an abortion have suffered long enough. Bring them in, the pope of the open door. Mike Griffin, professor at Holy Cross College here in South Bend, was on the uh, South Lawn of the White House last Wednesday with 11,000 others, observing the pope and the president standing there together, and he gave this quote to the South Bend Tribune. Pope Francis, he says, Pope Francis brings so many people in the church together. In some sense, that's one of the most meaningful things this pope does. He brings so many people together. Perhaps Professor Griffin is right. He brings so many people together the Pope of the open door. And perhaps it's that open door that is Francis' agenda for this nation. What open door? Hey, I know you listened to the broadcast, the telecast of his address, his papal address to Congress on Thursday. Me, too. In every sense of the word, this first time in history a pontiff has stood in the well of the U.S. Congress to address the nation was historic." The talking heads just kept using the word historic, historic, historic. And what a picture he cut, dressed there in his white papal robe, carving a a, a stark contrast with all those dark suits gathered at his feet. spoke spoken his quiet, sometimes halting English, not only to the politicians gathered inside, but to all those outside who were listening." And these these were his words. "'Today I would like not only to address you, but through you, the entire people of the United States.'" Tens of thousands of whom, according to reports, were gathered there in the mall of the Capitol building to watch on these massive jumbotrons, jumbotrons reserved normally for presidential inaugurations. Wow. And what's not to like about what he preached in that papal address quoted the golden rule Jesus' words? And I love that line. He says, "You know what? The yardstick you use to measure others will be the yardstick one day that will be used to measure you." What's wrong with that? He called for compassion. And this is why he's won the hearts of this world, the planet. He called for compassion for the disenfranchised, the alienated, for the for the refugees in Europe, for the immigrants, for the poor. No wonder he's beloved by all. I want to hit the pause button right there. Sometimes Now, listen, sometimes we think we're the only ones that can speak for God. And if anyone else claims to, we try to belittle her message or denigrate his point. But we make a mistake. Let me share three quotations with you to illustrate this. Pope Francis, after he was elected as the pontiff, wrote a book. Out title of the book, My Door is Always Open." He's the, he's the pope of the open door. In the book, these words. Put it on the screen. In the book, these words. The proclamation of the saving love of God comes before moral and religious imperatives. Well, that's pretty good. Now, a little 5-foot-3-inch five five woman named Ellen White a century and 10 years earlier wrote a sentence like this. We'll put that on the screen. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. So, which one of them is wrong? Are you kidding? They're both right. St. Paul. Here's how Paul here's how Paul puts it from the Dungeon in Rome I put it on the screen for you this is Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 Paul writing it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of good will Keep reading. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But, Paul goes on, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now, here comes the punchline. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. I don't care who says it. I don't care what context it is said. If Christ is being preached, I rejoice. What's wrong with that? That's Paul's point. We need to remember that point. God will get, get His love. God will get the picture of His character out any way He chooses, and we ought to rejoice with every fresh revelation, which is not to suggest I agree with all that Francis said in his address. In fact, I want to share with you now where I believe he is standing on very thin ice. So, now, let's go back. Pause buttons off. Let's go back to that uh, papal uh, Congress address. New super pope standing in front, and he did this. I saw him do it. He took his finger, he raised his finger, and he pointed at a figurine of Moses on the opposite wall high above the assembly. And then he spoke these words there on the screen for you. Yours, he's speaking to the politicians now. Yours is a work which makes me reflect in two ways on the figure of Moses. On the one hand, the patriarch and lawgiver of the people of Israel. He speaks of the divine law. We call it the Ten Commandments. On the one hand, the patriarch and lawgiver of the people of Israel symbolizes the need of peoples to keep alive their sense of unity by means of just legislation. In other words, Moses reminds you in this building of the just laws you must enact in this place. Then he goes on. Moses provides us with a good synthesis of your work. You are asked to protect, by means of the law, the image and likeness fashioned by God on every human face." Did you catch that? Let me repeat that. "...to protect by means of the law the image and likeness of God on every human face." Is it the duty of a nation's legislators to enact laws to protect the likeness of God in the citizens of the nation? Hmm? And if you answer, yes, then who's God? Will it be the God of the Jews or the God of the Muslims? Will it be the God of the Christians or the God... the no-God of the atheists? You say, well, come on. that's. Of course, he meant the the God of the Christians. Oh, good. Which God? The God of the Baptists or the God of the Lutherans? The God of the Mormons or the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses? The God of the Anglicans or the God of the Catholics? Which God's image is to be shaped in the lives of the citizens through the enforcement of law? You say, oh, come on, Dwight. What's the big deal? He was just making a little nice comment on the way to his main point. Oh, really? Are you suggesting that this Jesuit scholar pope hadn't thought through the implications of his carefully chosen words and crafted sentences? No. Everybody in the room, the press, the politicians, the people, and the pope all recognized that this was a moment very much having to do with God and nation, this nation. And who could possibly be opposed to so natural linkage between God and nation, especially on the lips of one so popular and beloved? I mean, please, what could be more likely than for the pope to intone the value of God and nation? Isn't that what religious figures and spiritual leaders are supposed to do? To be sure, no doubt. However, however, let us remember it is but a small step from God and nation, the unity of God and nation, to the union of church and state just a small step. Let us also be reminded that this beloved and popular Pope Francis is not only head of a church, he is head of a state. He, in his very person, embodies the union of church and state. The separation of church and state has been the historical genius of America from the beginning. From our founders who fled to these shores shores rather, to, to raise up a state without a king and a church without a pope. The United States Constitution preserves and protects the separation of church and state. Wow. Clearly, it is this church and state thing that is very much on the heart of the pope of the open door. Near the end of his address, Pope Francis referred to the World Meeting of Families convened today. In fact, going on right now. They're expecting a million-plus in the city of brotherly love. Near the end of the address, are these, these were the words he spoke on the screen for you. I will end my visit to your country in Philadelphia where I will take part in the world meeting of families. It is my wish that throughout my visit, the family should be a recurrent theme. How essential the family has been to the building of this country and how worthy it remains of our support and encouragement. Yet I cannot hide my concern for the family, which is threatened, perhaps as never before, from within and without. And who would disagree? But perhaps you're unaware that during his two-year pontificate, Pope Francis has intentionally bound together the importance of family with the importance of Sunday rest. In fact, in in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Catechism number 2188 are these words. Put them on the screen for you. In respecting religious liberty, and the common good of all, Christians should seek recognition of Sundays and the church's holy days as legal." Now, I, I added the emphasis there: "As legal holidays, they have to give everyone a public example of prayer, respect and joy, and defend their traditions as a precious contribution to the spiritual life of society end quote." And then in a general audience that Francis gave back in August, he spoke these words. I read the script on the screen. The obsession with economic profit and technical efficiency puts the human rhythms of life at risk. Moments of rest, especially on Sunday, are sacred because in them we find God. May we always recognize the family as the privileged place to understand, guide, and sustain the gifts which arise from our celebrations, especially the Sunday Eucharist. How did he put it in his papal address 48 hours ago? You are asked to protect by means of the law the image and likeness fashioned by God on every human face. By means of the law. Apparently, the pope of the open door wants to open the door to enacting legislation that enforces, by means of the law, the image and likeness of God on every human face. But doesn't the Apocalypse describe an image that will one day be formed on every human face? Revelation chapter 13. Open your Bible to it if you have it. Revelation 13. Let me read just a... A few selected verses here. Revelation 13, the Bible's last book, the Apocalypse. Verse one: The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Verse two: The beast I saw resembled a leopard. Let me hit the pause button right there. Don't read it now, but in my blog today, I tell you about an Adventist filmmaker who has put together a -a one-and-a-half-hour movie entitled Leopard Vision. If you'll go to that blog, you have the links. Go online to get it if you're live-streaming with us right now. It's already there. Leopard Vision. Don't read the blog now. You'll go and look it up. You will view this. And view it in one sitting. You got an hour and 26 minutes. View it in one sitting. All right. Verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Verse 7. The beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Verse 8. All inhabitants of the Earth will worship the beast, all whose names had not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Isn't that something jammed in the center of this apocalyptic depiction of the last chapter on Earth? Jammed in the center is Calvary's cross. Him who is the Lamb, the Savior of the planet. The whole story in that chapter is about the Savior. The whole story is His endgame to win every man, woman, and child to Him as He can. But there's another beast. Verse 11, Then I saw a second beast, coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed, and it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Verse 14. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived," final verse, 15. "...the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed." Wow. What is going on? It is absolutely clear. That what we have are two colossal global powers symbolized by two roaring beasts. The first power is a religious institution that turned political. The second power is a political institution that turns religious. And clearly, before the end of the world, these two colossal global powers unite in a confederation of church and state because worship is mandated. And through enacted law, they will mandate the image on every human face, only it will not be the image and likeness fashioned by God. In that apocalyptic classic, Great Controversy, I need you to catch this, put it on the screen for you. Let the principle once be established in the United States," that would be the second power of Revelation 13, "...that the church may employ or control the power of the state, that religious observances may be enforced by secular laws, in short, that the authority of church and state is to dominate the conscience, and the triumph of Rome," that would be the first power of Revelation 13, In this country, that would be the second power of Revelation 13, and the triumph of Rome in this country is assured." End quote. I believe that what we have witnessed in these last few hours is a high drama of accelerating apocalyptic fulfillment. You can't make this stuff up. You just can't. It's happening in front of our eyes. But the question is, are our eyes open? I listen to the class of 65 in Sabbath school. Beautiful testimonies. Beautiful. You've come back 50 years later, and we are honored that you have. Have the 50 years sharpened your vision or dimmed your understanding? All we need... This is not rocket science. You know it's true. All we need is one crisis to unite the two powers and then its curtains. Are our eyes open? Holy Scripture declares, We did not follow cunningly devised fables, but we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. As Jesus cryptically put it, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Look, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to His work. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And amen. Let us pray. Dear God, Thank you for the privilege of living now. Open our eyes and then open our mouths. There has to be a gracious, loving, Christ-like way to share this revelation of Jesus. Teach us how while we have the time. In Christ's name, amen. I wanted to take an extra moment to let you know how grateful I am you joined us today. I hear from viewers and listeners like you all across this nation and literally around the world, and I'm thankful because it's through the generosity of the members of this congregation and people like you that we're able to bring you this program. So if what we share today has touched your heart, I'd like to invite you to become a financial partner with us. Just give us a call. Toll-free number 877, the two words, His Will. 877-His-Will, or if you'd rather... Go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. Either way, your generosity will bless a new generation in cyberspace all over this planet. So thank you. Thank you very much for your partnership.